0: Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Today is Monday, January 8th, day 94 of the war with Hamas. Amanda Borchel-Dan here with our political reporter Sam Sokol and reporter Sue Serks. Hello to you both. Good morning. 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 Even as war continues to rage in Gaza, battle lines are being drawn in the Knesset. Sam will give insight into the increasingly fraught atmosphere. The foreign ministry says that despite the marked increase of anti Semitism around the world, it has no budget to help the fight. Sue was in Kfar Aza last week and talks about conservation work being done to preserve the objects that tell the story of the atrocities committed by Hamas there on October 7th. And we'll also hear about older gentlemen who have taken on themselves the task of fixing up old tanks and have basically formed their own battalion. All this and much more when we're back.
1: Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Sarachuk Law Firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Sarachek's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis, so they're only compensated when they succeed. The Sarachek Law Team strongly supports Israel. You can reach the Sarachek team at www.saracheklawfirm.com. That's S-A-R-A-C-H-E-K LawFirm dot com or at six four six four o three nine seven seven five. The proceeding is an attorney advertisement and past results are no guarantee of future performance.
0: Even as U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is making the rounds in the Middle East, in part to de-escalate the conflict on Israel's northern border, Defense Minister Yoav Gallant tells the Wall Street Journal that Israel isn't afraid to go to war with the Hezbollah terror group in Lebanon and warns the Iran-backed group that the destruction in Gaza can be quote, copy-pasted to Beirut. Overnight, the IDF carried out a series of airstrikes against Hezbollah sites in Lebanon. Lebanon. Retired Supreme Court President Aaron Barak is Israel's appointee to the 15 judge panel at the International Court of Justice in The Hague that will this week hear South Africa's case accusing Israel of genocide in Gaza. Dozens of people are protesting outside the Knesset in Jerusalem, calling on the government to quit and call new elections. The activists are sitting on the floor, blocking the entrance to the building and chanting elections now. Sam, what else can you tell us about this protest?
2: So it was dispersed uh, forcibly by the police who dragged off uh, dozens of protesters. Following that protest, the normal everyday protests that we see at the same spot, Convened. The only difference between what we saw this morning and the usual protest is that the usual protest doesn't actively block the road. It's there. There are barriers across the road set up by Knesset security, but people are able to get in and out as necessary. Uh, these protesters actively tried to block the road and were removed. At least one was arrested, uh, and according to Hebrew media reports. A number of them were relatives of people who were either killed or taken hostage on October 7th.
0: You are right now at the Knesset, and I understand there's been some disorder inside as well as outside, starting with a much-leaked cabinet meeting on Thursday evening, following the IDF's announcement that the IDF would begin investigating itself and what led to the October 7th disaster. So we've already discussed that meeting on the podcast, but in light of the huge amounts of leaks from the meeting... Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu had a proposal yesterday during the cabinet meeting. What was that?
2: Well, Prime Minister Netanyahu recommended that senior officials attending uh, cabinet discussions of security issues, as well as actual members of the cabinet, be compelled to undergo uh, lie detector tests, polygraph tests. He railed against what he called a plague of leaks and stated that he was not prepared to continue like this, which is why he's instructed for work to begin on a bill that would require everyone who sits in on cabinet and security discussions to undergo such a test. Now, this is not actually the first time that he has said this. He's been making similar comments, you know, for the past several months. You know, I think he has a sort of a fragile coalition at the moment because, He has some really far-right factions that disagree with the more moderate right-wing factions. He obviously has Benny people who came in following the beginning of the war. So this is something he's trying to hold together. And there's some very, very significant differences of opinion which are starting to make themselves felt, especially after last week's cabinet meeting, which ended with cabinet members yelling at the IDF chief of staff. There's, I think, a certain amount of concern on the political echelon That if the army starts to probe its own mistakes and to clean house, potentially firing people, that this could build to pressure for them to probe themselves on the political level. And as such, Netanyahu really, really wants to keep the harsh disagreements within his own coalition as quiet as possible.
0: But three ministers from Benny Gantz's National Unity Party actually skipped Sunday's cabinet meeting, which I would say highlights the growing tensions between the factions. Who were the ministers who skipped?
2: So it was uh, Gantz, Gotti Eisenkant, and Chili Troper, all of who are part of the blue and white faction of the National Unity Party, which is obviously aligned with Gantz. And the official reason that a spokesman for Gantz told me was that there were no essential issues for the conduct of the war during the cabinet meeting, and therefore they didn't want to show up. However, this was the same cabinet meeting in which they discussed uh, a very significant aid plan for reserve soldiers, which would seem to have a lot of bearing. And during one media appearance on Sunday, Chopra directly linked his absence to last week's security cabinet meeting, stating that it was related to the clashes in the cabinet and it isn't easy for us to stay in the government. So I think we really are seeing that despite the protestations on all sides that the country is united, the old political divisions are reasserting themselves, especially as we get to the point where we have to discuss the day after, which is very politically fraught and contentious and which has brought out extremely divergent views within the coalition, we're going to see more and more public disagreement.
0: Now, in Australia, laws banning the Nazi salute and the display or sale of symbols associated with terror groups came into effect today as the government there responds to a rise in anti-Semitic incidents following the Israel-Hamas war, which was, of course, triggered by the Palestinian terror group's October 7th murderous onslaught. But here, despite the recent surge in attacks and harassment against diaspora Jews, Israel's diplomatic service has no money to combat anti-Semitism abroad. You were told this last week, Sam. Who told you this and what were some of her comments?
2: Yeah, speaking during a meeting of the uh, Knesset's uh, Committee for Immigration Absorption and Diaspora Affairs, Ruth Cohen-Darr, the director of the ministry's department for combating anti-Semitism, explicitly said that until now the ministry has invested hundreds of thousands in shekels in the fight to prevent anti-Semitism, but now we are operating in a, quote, situation of zero budget. And we cannot assist diplomats around the world in their activities against anti-Semitism." So that seems to be something very serious. And this is not the first time that the ministry has complained about this. In November, Emmanuel Nachshon, a uh, spokesman for the ministry, told the uh, Knesset Subcommittee on Foreign Affairs and Public Diplomacy that the ministry had had to suspend Hasbara initiatives in multiple languages because of a lack of budget. Uh, This was something that was later denied by the ministry itself and led to additional money being given for public diplomacy efforts. But this is sort of a recurring story with the ministry. Now, I spoke to a ministry insider who basically told me, look, this is just a question of waiting for the new 2024 amended budget, and then we're going to have budgets again for public diplomacy, not for anti-Semitism issues. But the truth is that this is something we've seen repeatedly since 2015, that Netanyahu has cut uh, ministry budgets and moved a lot of its functions to other uh, other agencies, such as the Prime Minister's Office. And so, I, this is sort of a recurring theme. This is this is not really particularly new. Now, it has to be added that the Diaspora Ministry has said that it's put in a, quite a large amount of money into securing Jewish uh, institutions abroad. But often, and this is something that one one diplomatic, diplomat told me, uh, often, you know, you need someone on the ground when you have a diaspora ministry in Jerusalem, The, the for, according to the foreign ministry, at least, you know, it's a lot more effective when you can run things out of an embassy abroad where someone can have physical, you know, a physical presence on the ground.
0: All right, Sam, thank you so much for all of these updates. My pleasure. We'll go to a short break.
1: The world we live in isn't perfect, but it doesn't get better on its own. That's where the work of activists comes in. Whether it's environmental justice, animal rights, or disability advocacy, there are people all around the world striving to make it a better place. That's where All About Change comes in. Host Jay Ruderman talks with activists about how they do what they do and what inspires them to keep going. Because activism is all about change. Listen to All About Change wherever you get your podcasts.
0: And Rebecca, for the past seven weeks, a team of experts in artifact documentation and preservation have been sifting through what's left over from October 7th to find objects that can testify to that terrible day. Sue, you were there, you were at Kfar Aza last
3: week. Tell us about this project and what the experts are seeking Well, the evidence for what happened on October the 7th is being collected in lots of different ways. So some organizations are taking verbal testimony. The National Library is collecting everything it can from the Internet. And the project that I covered is being run by the Visual History Department of the Yad Binsby Institute. And this is a state institute that researches and educates about Israeli history, among other things. The department, the visual history department, has been running a project for years called Land and Artifact. And this collects all sorts of objects which tell something about Israel's history and then uploads them into an online archive. So it was kind of natural for the department, uh, which is funded by the Heritage Ministry, to go out after October the 7th and look for objects that were connected to that day. As you rightly say, I joined the team at Kibbutz Kvar Aza, which was one of the worst affected by the Hamas attack. Um, And Nirit Shalev Khalifa, who heads the visual history department, was in charge. She usually comes with her co-director, Dina Grossman. But the night before, uh, Dina Grossman's son was injured in Gaza. Uh, which kind of, you know, underlined what's happening, so she couldn't be there. But there were volunteers from lots of museums and a senior figure from the Israel Antiquities Authority and Blue Helmets, who are people who help with building preservation after disasters, all volunteers. Now, each kibbutz provides a space for temporary storage because at the end of the day, it will be they who will decide what to do with the objects. And the objects themselves all reflect something that happened on that day. So, for example, things that changed physical form as a result of fire or things that were connected to the date, a sukkah from Simchat Torah, the the religious festival that was uh, uh, being celebrated on that day, things that were shot through with bullet holes. I'll give you a couple of examples. Before going to Kvarrhiser, I stopped off at a massive parking lot where all the vehicles that were shot at and set on fire that day have been lined up. The families that wanted to visit the cars have already been and taken things. But I got there just before uh, Niritz-selected objects were taken away and there was there was a lot of stuff still there, primarily baby seats, Odd shoes and lots of deck chairs and camping gear. Now three hundred and sixty people who'd gone to that all night rave ne kibbutzraim were gunned down in the early morning of October seventh, and a lot of the cars belonged to them. And that camping equipment is part of the story and it's gonna be it's gonna be stored. Another example is that after Hamas had finished its killing spree at Kibbutz near Oz, regular Ghazans came in to loot people's houses. They came in taxis. And when the army finally re-established control, it shot at the looters. And one poor donkey, evidently carrying stolen goods, was killed. And Nirit decided to keep what is now the donkey's, the donkey's skull, which still has its bridle on The team is working really as quickly as possible to salvage objects before the houses are cleared and renovated or before they become souvenirs for curious visitors.
0: Really, really moving and fascinating project. While you were there, you witnessed several busloads of, shall we say, tourists who were making pilgrimage to the Kfar Azad destruction and probably other sites in the Gaza envelope. That sounds a little morbid, I have to say, but I think that's not their intention at all. You spoke with many of these people. What are they saying?
3: Oh, like you, when I first heard that tourists, if you like, were visiting sites along the Gaza border where these unspeakable acts took place, I thought it was a bit ghoulish, a bit like those people who stop their cars on a motorway to gawk at a crash. But what I realized when I walked around the kibbutz and talked to visitors from Israel and from America on that day was that people have a deep need to connect to, to feel part of what happened, and to feel part of Am Yisrael, the people of Israel. There was a group, for example, of 16 young American men, religious, from New York and Brooklyn, who'd come for 24 hours to see Kfar Aza, the site of the party, and Kibbutz Beri, which was also very badly affected. They'd even brought guitars to deepen. And the emotional experience. Now, only one of them was directly connected with a brother serving in Gaza, but they said they had to be there to feel what happened. There were fellow rock band members of Yotam Chaim, who was one of the three Israeli hostages that was mistakenly shot in Gaza by the IDF. They'd come to visit the burned out remains of Chaim's house in the young people's area of the kibbutz, which is really shocking to see. I met a couple from a Moshav near Ofakim, which is a, a town in the not that far from the Gaza border, which was also invaded by Hamas. They were standing at a perimeter gate looking at Gaza through binoculars, and they said they just wanted to understand. And then... There was a woman from Caesarea, which is on the north central coast, who I met also at the young people's area. She was there with a husband who was in military uniform. He'd taken a break from reserve duty. She has three sons in Gaza. It's unimaginable. She said she wanted her young daughter to understand why all the family's men were in Gaza, and that's why they were there. She was really trying hard to fight back tears. And I asked her whether seeing this kind of destruction could really help her, and she looked at me and she just said, well, nothing helps. Wow, talk about fighting back tears. To
0: end with, on a more positive note, you wrote a story recently about a group of soldiers who have long since been released from the army and a collection of tanks no longer in use that have been brought together in a weird kind of shidukh matchmaking to create Phoenix, a new armored tank battalion that has actually already seen action in Gaza. Tell us about these men and these tanks.
3: I love this story. It's about the Israeli knack for thinking out of the box. The government, as we all know now, uh, was convinced that the Garda border fence, with all its technology, would stop Hamas from attacking Israel. And because of that, the IDF decommissioned tanks and tank soldiers. And when the war broke out, an enterprising guy in high tech called Dan Levit realized that tanks actually would be needed. To cut a long story short, he convinced the army to rehabilitate decommissioned tanks. He went around and found the tanks himself. And then he put out a WhatsApp message asking for volunteers to operate them. And within 24 hours, had 650 replies. Now, the volunteers who are... Well, let's say some of them balder and rather larger than they were when they did their conscription, included a former deputy division commander and also a major in the reserves who now lives in Wales in the UK and returned to, to Israel to take part. Levitt said, he said, people who never thought they'd wear an army uniform again and tanks that nobody thought would be driven anymore have risen again. And of course, that's why they called the Battalion Phoenix. There's now at least three tank companies that are in operation with more on the way. The original idea was to replace units on the Gaza border. But as you correctly say, they've already been into the Gaza Strip and fought. So old guys in old tanks. It's a great story. It really is. And, and let's just end it here. Sue, thank you so much for joining me
0: today. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's daily briefing. Please check out another installment tomorrow. This episode was produced by The Podwaves. If you have any questions or comments about this or any other episode, please drop us an email to podcast at com. Until tomorrow, shalom.